Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Well, go ahead and get your Bibles open to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 40, verse 31. Hold that place in your Bibles. I'm going to refer to it uh, a little bit later in my message. Uh, You know, trauma hits a lot of people. There was a, a morning several years ago when I went into my office on a, uh, on a weekday morning, it was a Tuesday morning, and went to my office and turned on my computer, and, uh, and immediately an email popped up. And this was, a, it was about 6.30 when I, when I had started working in the office that morning, and an email popped up that had come through at exactly 6, uh, 6 a.m., and it was a long email. I, I, I knew the name of the person, but I didn't really know who this individual was. And started reading about it, and, and in this email, this, this man was describing uh, an affair that he had with a woman in our church. And, had, uh, and he was just saying, yeah, this is what happened. Everybody needs to know about it. And I'm like, everybody needs to know. And I looked, he had sent this to five people. And he said, I timed this, this message to go out at 6 a.m. because by the time you get this message, I will be dead. And I, no, it wasn't here. It wasn't here. I said several years ago, several years ago, yeah. He said, by the time you get this message, I'll be dead. And I looked at the other people who he was sent to, and I, I knew a couple of them. I tried calling them. They didn't answer. I mean, they were probably still in bed. I don't know, but they, they didn't answer. So the next thing I, I did is I, I called the authorities and just said, you guys need to be aware of this. I gave the information that I knew. You guys got to hunt this guy down, find him. Something happened here. And the, uh, the trauma of that was huge. I mean, I was hit with it, just totally shocked. Finally, I got in touch with the lady's husband in our church, the, the, the lady who had had the affair with this man. And uh, I got in touch with him and I said, have you opened your email yet this morning? He said, no, I haven't. I said, uh, don't open it. Come to my office. So he came up to my office, read the email with me, and he just, he sat there and tears filled his eyes and he he was totally totally shocked and I'm thinking what do we do now (laughs) what do we do now so prayed with him and encouraged him and uh, he had his wife to come up to the church also she came up and confronted her with the email she didn't know about it yet so this is probably about 9 a.m. when all of this was transpiring. And, and, uh, and she said, you know, this isn't even true. It's not true. It's like, yeah, I mean, by this time the authorities had already found the man. Thank God they caught him before the, uh, the, the, the pills that he had taken had actually destroyed his body. But, uh, but he, was, he was impaired. He eventually did pass away a few months later. But it was a horrible, horrible situation. And 
I'm, I'm just thinking, how, how would I deal with this? How would I deal with this? I don't, I don't know, but this man who's, uh, whose wife had had, had the affair and, and really kind of set things in motion with this, this uh, suicide, the, the, guy, the guy, the suicide attempt, of course, was his, his own doings. I watched him after a couple of hours of talking, because we spent a lot of time together that day. I watched him turn to his wife and say, I forgive you. And I watched her just sob and cry. After a couple weeks, he took her to the baptismal and baptized her. And I watched how God had restored a broken relationship. And I'll tell you, it was no easy task going through the next several weeks, let's say months. Uh, walked him through a healing process, and they met with me once a week, and and we we just continued a process of development. I uh, the the man who the man his name is Eric who was um, kind of on on the shocked end of things, realizing this this shockwave that hit his family. He's still a dear friend of mine. We in fact we just talked yesterday. <laughs> we talk uh, all the time, but things just seemed to fall apart in his life overnight. And I watched this man and, and how he dealt with it and how he, of course, kept loving his wife, but I watched how he dealt with himself and how he kind of just wrapped himself around God and said, I have nothing to hold on to except God. And I watched how he did it. And I'll tell you, this is it's one of the most amazing stories I've ever Seen most amazing situations I've ever seen in my ministry years. Because there is hope even in the midst of peril for you. So I've entitled today's message, Hope During Peril. This is part of my Impossible series. And we're going to talk about finding that hope. I mean, how, how do you deal with it when, like, your dreams are shattered? Maybe your future just is all of a sudden terminated. You're, you're languishing. There's despair all over you. I mean, how do you overcome what you perceive as the impossibilities of even taking another step forward, of even moving into the next day? And, and it's when you, you didn't even have, you don't even have any idea of what's next coming down the road because you're on a whole new path. Overnight, everything has just shifted and changed I mean, how can hope be restored during peril? How do you overcome this? Well, one of the scriptures that I've been sharing with you in this series is very simple. With God, all things are possible, but they're only possible with God. And I want to make this clear. God wants to restore hope in the midst of your peril and your frustration loves you. He loves you regardless of what you're going through. He loves you even though you may have been the catalyst for the peril that you're actually walking through right now. But I'll tell you, hopelessness is a horrible, horrible feeling. Maybe you've gotten a a somber medical report. Uh, You're just locked in this loop of constant negative thoughts. You can't even get your mind out of it. 
I mean, as a pastor, I, I've, I've seen a lot of people's reactions to situations like that. Um, some people just become totally unhinged. Some people just walk away from God, blaming God for the situation. Others, the, just this, this hopelessness, it provokes all of these feelings of, I'm not worth anything. I have no value, distress, and, and despair, and depression. And in fact, we live in a culture right now of, of rapidly accelerating emotional pain. I'm seeing it. And having served as a pastor, I, I, I served as a pastor since the year, since 1999, and before that, served for uh, 11 years as a staff pastor. And I'll just tell you, I've never seen the emotional pain the way it is developing right now. And it's impacting every single one of us. In fact, Jesus even said this. He said in the last times and the last days near the end of time that there's going to be a lot of peril. He says perilous times will definitely be there. And we're seeing a lot of that around us. We're seeing it around us everywhere. So what do you do? What do you do? One of my favorite authors, renowned author uh, C.S. Lewis, he said this and it's, better stated by him than me. So I just want to read to you this quote. He says, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say, my tooth is aching than to say, my heart is broken. But we, as Christians, need to talk about this stuff. We need to, we need to discuss it. We need to, to, to work through these things. Because we as believers, we are not immune to mental and emotional pain. We are not immune to private peril or even public peril. We're not. We're not. But, but if we hold it in and we just try to contain it, we just try to look good on the outside so that everybody, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, people in the city were the worst at it because you got to have this image, got to have this look. You have to do things a certain way to actually function in the city. And you guys know what I'm talking about. You all know what I'm talking about. But when you hold that all in, it, you, just, you actually just dig deeper and deeper into despair because what happens is we try to repress or maybe even ignore those emotions, but then what, what happens under the surface is the enemy comes after it because whatever isn't exposed to the light, the enemy will just de- will, will magnify those feelings, which then results in all types of negative behaviors. I mean, a lot of negative behaviors and addictions and things of that nature plague our lives because that stuff has been held in. I tried to just come up with some terminology on what hopelessness, just how, you know, what is hopelessness? I mean, what about it? I was like, well, I I can't think of anything better than say hopelessness just stinks. Hopelessness stinks. It does. There's this prophet in the Bible, his name is Ezekiel, and he has this entire book of prophecies that's found in the Old Testament. And, uh, and of course, that book of prophecies, it's called Ezekiel after, after his name. And, and I decided that Ezekiel should be our case study for today. Uh, a little bit about him, he trained as a priest in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and he was looking forward to this bright career as a public servant, uh, bright career in ministry work. His father was a priest. He, had been, he was tr- in, still in training for all of this. 
And, and understand in those days, if you were a priest in Jerusalem, that was a very, very high and respected position. Unlike <laughs> today's uh, view of pastors or preachers, but it was a very high and respected position. And uh, his training all of a sudden was terminated in the year 597 BCE. Uh, his training was over, just overnight. He's about 25 years old when all of this happened. And, and at that time, what was happening is God judged Jerusalem. God judged Judah using the ancient Babylonian empire. And uh, Jerusalem was besieged and, and they eventually had to surrender to the siege of, of Nebuchadnezzar. And so the king of, of Judah, along with several thousand others, were taken as political prisoners to be taken over to Babylon to be integrated into Babylonian society. And Ezekiel was one of the people that was captured. And he was taken along with many other young young men of notoriety. Uh, so we, we also know some of the other names of people who were there from the book of Daniel. Daniel was, was one of those. Uh, Ezekiel would have known Daniel at that time. So Daniel was another one. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, those guys. That, so that was a, they, they, they were all taken to, uh, to Babylon. They were forced. Th- I want you to feel this. They were forced to walk about 600 miles 600 miles from Jerusalem over to Babylon so that they could be held captive by this Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, 600 miles, that's, that's kind of like walking from, uh, I'm sorry, did I say 600, 900 is what I meant. I, my, my nine and my six got inverted, but uh, 900, because I think 600 is not as far as what I was thinking. No, 900 miles is the distance from like El Paso out in West Texas to Orange in East Texas. I, I like it when you do drive into Texas on I-10, it does tell you how many miles to get to the, to the other side of the state. It's how Texas brags. But that's a, that's a good way to picture it, how, what, what the distance would have been like, unimaginable. It, according to my calculations, that would be about 60 days of walking. And we know this, Ezekiel, he wept for Judah. He wept for Jerusalem. He wept over the loss of his homeland. And, and, and he wept over the fact that, that everything that he had expected in his life, everything that was looking good. I mean, Ezekiel was a godly man. But everything that, was hoping, that he was hoping for, everything that he was looking forward to in his future was gone. And see, Ezekiel, he, he faced that as a huge impossibility. I mean, how was he ever going to have that future that he had hoped for? Uh, how, was, how, how was he ever going to be able to worship Jehovah God again because, because God dwelt in the temple? How, how could that ever happen? How could he even have hope for his city, Jerusalem, after he saw it, saw it pillaged and the temple was pillaged and, and all of the fine articles that were there were taken out? How, how could he have even hope for the temple where he once served? And after he'd been in Babylon for about, uh, for about five years as a political prisoner, what happened is about the age 30, God then called Ezekiel to be a prophet. Now, we, we would not quite understand that, but I want you to try to understand this confused him because he, he didn't get it because, because he knew from his priestly training, he also knew from the scriptures that God's presence was in the temple. God's presence was there in Jerusalem. How could he be a prophet and, uh, because God's presence was back there in Jerusalem? Uh, God's presence was not in this pagan nation of, of Babylon. 
But God showed him, hey, I am very present, and I'm actually omnipresent. I'm going to be here with you. Uh, he, he had this incredible vision of the glory of God and the power of God and the life of God. And so God then commissioned him to be a prophet, but not a prophet to the people of Babylon. He was a prophet to the people of Israel that were exiled there in Babylon, um, the Jewish exiles. But see, there's a problem with that. You see, part of the reason, well, actually the reason why this whole exile happened, part of the reason why everything turned upside down was because those Jewish people had been godless. Not Ezekiel, but those Jewish people had been godless. They were not serving God. They didn't care. And they were involved in all types of wicked, idolatry, twisted stuff that, that we're even seeing manifesting in our own society today. And, and so he, he saw that. It's like, well, this is, this is hopeless. And so God says, no, you have to preach to them. But they're not going to listen. And you know what? Nobody listened to Ezekiel. They didn't. The whole book of Ezekiel is written. It's incredible, all those prophecies. But nobody even cared what he said. <laughs> How would you like that to be your destiny? He didn't finish his sermon and go, ah, good job, good job. No, this seemed like an impossible task. And not only the task, but still the mental and emotional pain and the anguish of what he was walking through. This man was in peril. Ezekiel was. Now, I know that none of us have faced or would face those exact types of circumstances, but we do face similar things. Uh, we all walk through seasons of peril. For some people, they seem to be even more crazy than others. Situations that derail your life, um, unfulfilled dreams, heartbreak, disillusionment, hopelessness, and just those feelings of impossibilities. And what happens when, when this begins to occur in a person's life is quite often you just feel totally drained, totally weak. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm drained, I'm weak. I, 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 and, and how do you get your strength back? Well, regarding Ezekiel, <laughs> I found something amazing about him. First of all, is I, I found that his name actually means God strengthens. God strengthens. And so that's where I started. You know, in, 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 in spite of the pain and the suffering that he was experiencing, Ezekiel received new strength and he, needed, he received new hope in the middle of hopelessness in the midst of all that peril. You see, during this time while he was in exile, uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually went back to Jerusalem 10 years later, and he literally went and completely destroyed the city, tore the walls down. He destroyed Solomon's temple. He, he just, he leveled the city, basically. And of course, Ezekiel and all the people back in Babylon heard, heard about that. They heard the stories. They heard about that. And that would be an even more depressing thinking, wow, we had a little bit of hope that something good could come, but now it's even worse than it was before. But even in, during the middle of that, God showed himself to be powerful to Ezekiel. I'd never really made the connection until I was studying for this because I, I, I chose to do a deep dive into the book of Ezekiel this last week. I, I wanted to read it all and just absorb it all and kind of 
feel what Ezekiel was feeling, and then realizing that the temple had been annihilated, destroyed, and he had heard about that. God then gave him a vision of the restored temple. God gave him a vision of, of the, the, the people of Israel being restored and how, how God triumphed, God was going to triumph over evil. God kept giving him hope even in the midst of his own peril. See, what I learned about him is as he leaned into God, as he continued worshiping God, as he continued listening to the voice of God, Ezekiel slowly began to believe that God would ultimately triumph over evil and that the Israelites would be restored to their homelands. And that's actually what ended up happening. See, but this hope that he, he received, this hope that he got, uh, this, this, this gave him the ability just to continue getting up each day, to continue moving forward each day. God visited Ezekiel. God strengthened Ezekiel. And I want to be clear with you, God will do the same for you today if you'll let him. You got to let him though. At the very beginning of the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapters 2 and 3, uh, we, we see already at the very beginning of that prophetic book where, where God is making it clear, I'm not going to abandon my own. And you see the messages that God is faithful and that God commands and he controls the nations and God has his own timing to redeem any and every situation and God does turn impossibilities around. But it wasn't just for Ezekiel, but it was actually for the Jewish people as a whole, which he had a huge, huge heart for. In spite of how godless they had become, and he saw it, it was rampant, God didn't even give up on them. And he's not going to give up on you, and he's not going to give up on your family as well. You know what he said to Ezekiel? He said this in Ezekiel 50, uh, 34, 26. He said, I will make showers fall in their season. They will be showers of blessing. Some of you, you're, you're right now, you're in a time of peril. There's, there's hopelessness or frustration. And maybe, maybe even you've lost purpose because everything, you're, everything turned around for you. Like, I don't even have purpose anymore. And it just seems to be choking you and you, you don't know what to do. But here, you've already taken the right step because you're here today. You are in the right place to see hope restored. And I'll tell you, make this clear. You don't have to live in continual hopelessness and disillusionment and despair. God wants to bring showers of blessing your way. He does. And God can restore hope during your peril. He can. He wants to make you strong again. What happens is your hope and, and as your strength is restored, impossibilities are going to begin to turn around. But it demands that you cling to God. Hear me well. It demands that you hide in him. Psalm 62 says this. It says, my soul this is where he's speaking to his soul. My soul, wait in silence for God alone. That word wait is important. Just hold that in your mind. Wait in silence for God alone, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my refuge. I will not be shaken. See, again, that's a command to your soul. That, that's your thoughts and that's your desires and that, that's your feelings. It is to wait on God, which is your source of hope. And only him. And when we do that, you will not be shaken. That's what the scripture says. But again, that word wait is very important. It's, it's found 
all through the scriptures. I, even in studying for this, I didn't realize how often that word is found in the scriptures and is closely related to the word hope. You see, uh, the, the, the Old Testament was not written in English. It was written in in Hebrews, and all it's a, it's a it's a language that most of us don't know. But so so we have to translate it from Hebrew into English, and sometimes some things are lost in the translation because it's just we just speak a completely different language. But I want to bring some illumination uh, here in just a second. Uh, so so let's look at the scripture that I asked you to turn to Isaiah chapter forty verse thirty one. Look at this. Isaiah chapter forty verse thirty one. It's a really popular scripture. Some of you even have this memorized. Look at it. Those who wait for the Lord, that word wait, we find it there again, will gain new strength. You see that? They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Okay, I love that scripture. I remember memorizing that when I was 12 years old in in our children's church. That That is a powerful scripture, but... What does it mean to wait? Again, keep in mind, that was written in the Hebrew language, translated the word wait, but what does that mean in the Old Testament? What does that mean in the Hebrew language? Well, wait in the Hebrew language, it wouldn't make sense to a lot of people if it was written this way, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Here's what it is. It's the Hebrew term kava, which means to bind together by twisting. Now, some of you are saying, what does that have to do with the word wait? <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you get, get this. It means to bind together by twisting. It's not like sitting in a waiting room, waiting for an appointment, that kind of waiting. It's just sitting and waiting. Well, I'm going to look at my phone. Okay, I'm going to read a magazine. Here I wait, here I wait. Okay, this is ridiculous. I've been waiting 15 minutes. I've been waiting an hour. I've been waiting, 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 waiting. No, that's not what it is. See, because when we wait on God, what we do is this is an active form of waiting. It, it means that we actively bind. We have to do it with intention. And it's our responsibility to do this. But we actively bind ourselves to God in the midst of the peril and we twist ourselves around God while we wait for God to bring what God's going to bring for us. That is actually potent. And so when we do that, what we're doing is, is we're, we're, uh, we're binding ourselves to him. We're twisting ourselves around his character. We're twisting ourselves around his grace. We're binding ourselves to his love. We're binding ourselves to his promises and his word. And, and that will, and as we're patient in the process, what happens is the scripture says over and over and over, that's when hope comes and that's when, you, when things will be renewed. That's when strength begins to come. Because why? You're now functioning in his power. You're functioning in his nature because you are bound to him. You're twisted around him and his nature. So so if you want hope restored, if you're ready for new strength, then you've got to wait on the Lord. You've got to bind yourself to him. Now, I I, I need some help in in describing this because I thought, no, no matter how much I preach this, some people just aren't going to get it because I don't know if I would even get it if I was just listening to someone else preach. No no shame on you. It was me. I was like, I don't know if I would even understand if someone was sharing that. So so I I need a couple of volunteers to come up here. And uh, Aurora and Darius, I know that you have been selected by the powers that be and wherever you guys are, there's there's Darius. Where's Aurora? Uh, Yeah, come on up here. I'm going to need your help. This is going to be really, really fun. Come on up here to the the front. Y'all just stand right up here. Stand and, and just 
just the smile. Yes, let, let people see how, how handsome and awesome you are. Yeah, yeah, you're looking good today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Got the Texas thing going. So yeah, some people would say that's U.S. And it works for U.S., but it's actually Texas. All right, all right, you're looking good. All right, go, go get over here, get over here, right here, here. You're, this is not, this is not going to be hard for you guys. It's going to be fun. All right. Hopefully, because you never know what I'm going to do up here. And these guys are, I know they're a little nervous because they really don't know what's going to happen. But I want to show you something that I brought up here with me in my pocket. I have two items here. I have some twine. And this twine represents us. Now, is this twine pretty? No, it's pretty ugly, isn't it? It's like us, you know. Well, not y'all, but it was, it, it's, see, I'm already messing this up. I go, great, I'm never going up there again. But, but it looks, it's, it looks kind of frayed, and it's just like, yeah, you know, it's just like, okay, whatever. But this, this twine is like us. Well, I also have something else here. <laughs> I have something wonderful. This is nylon rope. Now, that is beautiful, right? Absolutely beautiful. And the nylon rope, it's, it's good, and it's tough. So here's what I'm, I'm going to need for you all to do. I need for you to hold one end of the nylon rope that you're not going to play tug-of-war, okay? I know what you're wanting to do, Darius. I, I was your age once myself, all right? And okay, come on over here. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. You got it. Okay, now just hold it, uh, hold it firm, hold it tight. Again, no pushing, shoving, pulling each other because he's going to fall off the edge if you start pulling. You're gonna, that, that won't work very well. Scoot over just a little bit back this way so everybody can see you really good and clear. Now, this is like us again. Now, I, I do actually have another, another piece of twine here, and I want to show you that, that this twine is not, it's not very strong. And that's like us. We can break under pressure. Break under pressure. But see, that's not what God wants for us. Because he designed us to wait on him, to be bound to him, to be twisted around him. Now, hold on to this right there with it. And when you do this, when you begin to twist yourself around God, I'm in his word I'm studying his word. I'm going to church. I'm going to the prayer meeting. I'm, I'm reading the word on a daily basis. I'm memorizing scripture. I'm taking the promises of God seriously. I, I, I'm blessing others. I'm living to be a blessing rather than, than just living for myself. I, I'm sharing the love and the life of God with those around me. I'm not embarrassed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm a worshiper, and I love, I love the presence of God. You're binding yourself to him. Now, hold on to that. I think you guys understand this. There is no way I can break this twine at this point. I cannot break it. No matter how hard I try, I'm not going to be able to. The only way I can break this twine is to separate it from the nylon rope. The only way you're going to be broken, church, is if you separate yourself from the love and the life and the power of God. Because God says, when you wait on me, when you bind yourself to me, when you, when you twist yourself around me, when you engage with me, I don't, whatever comes your way, you might still feel weak. Yeah, you might still feel like, I don't have it today. But you are wrapped around God and God is going to carry you through and it doesn't matter what kind of peril you're facing God says I will be there for you and I will be there with you amen amen, amen. all right
and you get to take this home because this is your first time to help me with an illustration. Give these guys a big hand. I, I want to read to you that scripture again, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, but I want to take that word wait and I want to expand it. It says, those who bind themselves to and twist themselves around. I, that's, that's that word wait. Those who bind themselves to and twist themselves around the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Isaiah 40, 31. Take that and put it to memory, church. That's another other way that you are binding yourself to God because supernatural strength it results from waiting which is binding yourself to God so are you going to do it are you going to break out of your hopelessness even in the midst of your peril I mean are you ready for some fresh hope because if so if you do this you can keep hoping regardless of what's going on around you 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 are now supernaturally strong it's not your own strength right it's not your own strength you are supernaturally strong because you're bound to God you're twisted around him and you can say this according to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. You can say, hey, I know this. God is for me. He is not against me. Even in peril, God is going to be by my side, and he is by my side, and he restores my hope. You can also say this according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, that you know he is still working on you. You know that he is still working through you as well. His favor is on you. His life and his love and his power, they're flowing through you even when you don't think it is. And he's making you a better person. And you can also say this according to 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 that you can depend on him because you know that he is faithful and you know that God cannot lie. One of the ways that we bind ourselves to God by twisting is also participating in Holy Communion. I have never taken communion lightly in my life. I don't ever want you to do it as well. You see, it's not an empty ritual. It's not just some, eh, it's some little tradition that we have to do as Christians. No, I want to tell you, this is a powerful act that binds ourselves to Him. See, what we do there, there are two items in communion. There's the, we, we, it's, it's the bread and the, and the juice, the, the, the body and the blood. And when we take that into ourselves, it's that like we're taking the nature of Christ into us. That's, that's, what it, that's what it symbolizes. That's how we need to see it. We're, we're taking the nature of Christ into us. His body that was broken for our sins. And it gives us that hope of eternity. Um, his life, his forgiveness, his healing, his blessing. We bind ourselves to him through that. It gives us hope for eternity. Because even in this life, this life it will be filled with different moments of peril. But I'll tell you this, this was, communion lets us know that even a perilous life is going to be set free, you are going to experience more pleasure and joy and happiness than you could ever imagine through eternity. This life is so brief. The struggles we face in this life are so small 
They're even called, in the New Testament, Paul calls them just momentary struggles. Momentary. It's just really just kind of a little flash in the light of eternity. That's why we bind ourselves to God. We twist ourselves around God through communion. I, I believe that's why we are commanded in the New Testament to do communion regularly until we're with God in heaven because it just, it's, that, it's that reminder. It, is also, we, it also forces us to go back to the essentials and the basics of God is for me. He is not against me. It does, and that all things are possible with God and we have a future hope in Christ and he is going to work on our behalf. Before I go any further, Communion is for people who have given their lives to Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not in relationship with the Lord, you're far from God. Sin is controlling your life. I want you to make the decision to break out of that today by allowing the blood of Jesus to forgive you and to wash you clean. I'd like nobody looking around in this room at this time. Nobody looking around. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let his conviction speak to you. Where are you spiritually? And if your life were to be taken today, do you know that you would be with Jesus for eternity? And if not, pray this prayer. I want you to pray this prayer, and I want you to give your life to him. But I want to link my faith up with you. With you, And the best way to do that that I know is just for you to in a moment just to lift your hand so that I can see it and I can, can connect my faith with you as you pray, as you give your life to Jesus, as you allow your sins to be washed away by his blood. Lock yourself in with the Lord. And if that's you, at the count of three, lift your hand for me so I can see it and connect my faith with you. You're ready to give your life to Jesus. You need forgiveness of your sin. Lift your hand, one, two, three. Lift it up so I can see it. Thanks. Who else? You put your hands down. Anybody else? Thank you. Let's, let's pray. If you lifted your hand, will you please pray these words with me? Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Wash me of my iniquity. Today I make the choice. Come on, everybody, pray this with me. Today I make the choice to give up my old life and to embrace the future that you have for me. Wash me in your precious blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.